The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. There's a great desire in the church today to see spiritual revival in the people. Without a solid moral grounding based on biblical values and the Ten Commandments, Western societies are heading for another dark age. The Bible has much to say about a coming time of war when people will cry to God the prayer of Isaiah 64.1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Imagine God himself supernaturally intervening in the mess to which the world is heading. Well, get ready, because that's exactly what's about to happen. The world hasn't experienced signs and wonders like we're about to see since the time of the Exodus under Moses, three and a half thousand years ago. What I'm speaking of are the signs and wonders of the upcoming Ezekiel War that's described in the prophecies of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Do you have a longing to see God Almighty demonstrate who He is? to an unbelieving, jaded, secular, God-rejecting, hedonistic world? As we look at the signs of the times in which we live, it's evident that conditions in Israel and the world are such that it cannot be long before God shows Himself strong and He proves just who is the real God who created the universe and you and me. In the Six-Day War of June 1967, Tiny Israel miraculously defeated overwhelming odds, yet biblically illiterate people couldn't necessarily see or discern it as a direct intervention of God Almighty. That war, almost a generation ago, now appeared to have been won by a young and burgeoning nation in the power of its own strength. The 1948 war of Israel's independence was equally miraculous, but Secular people saw it more or less as some kind of karma as a result of the Jews deserving a place in the sun after the horrors of the Holocaust. However, the coming prophesied Ezekiel War will unmistakably be miraculous when the nation of Israel is delivered supernaturally from an overpowering circle of enemies. This time, the signs and wonders predicted in the Bible will astound the whole world, and not just the Jews, but the world will stop to marvel and to rethink what's happening. And many people will honor the God of Israel at this time, which will be the culmination of what the Bible calls the times of the Gentiles, because it'll be the end of the era of world domination by the non-Jewish nations. Israel, which is presently hated and despised by so many, will clearly be vindicated and saved by God Himself from destruction. Much of the Bible is written as narrative, as laws and precepts with holy poetry, the Psalms, and so forth. 
but also much of this Bible contains end-time prophecy of future events that are progressively unfolding. If you have an unprejudiced mind, some of the clearest, easy-to-comprehend chapters read like tomorrow's newspaper. Ezekiel 38 and 39 concern the immediate future. I've been teaching on these chapters for years. And among evangelical Christians, the topic is really understood by those who have an interest in Israel and Bible prophecy. But sadly, among casual Christians who are biblically illiterate, the subject rarely comes up. Even among the Jewish people, the topic of the Ezekiel War is not generally known. Orthodox rabbis certainly know about it, and many observant rabbis believe that current events are ripe for an imminent fulfillment of Ezekiel 38. But many secular Israelis still haven't a clue. Taxi drivers are some of the best informed people for news in Israel. But recently I asked a taxi driver when he thought the Ezekiel War would take place, and he didn't know what I was talking about. Like many secular Israelis, he didn't know the Bible. So let's outline the whole coming scenario, starting with the context of the preceding chapters of Ezekiel 36 and 37. In those preparatory chapters, God says that His people Israel would be scattered into all the nations as a judgment for their unbelief and disobedience and that their bones would be in cemeteries throughout the world for centuries, and that their scattering among the nations had profaned his name, meaning that the Jews as wanderers and nomads had contradicted the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God who promised and vowed to settle the Hebrews in their own land, the land of Israel. It was because of their sin and judgment that they were scattered, but God, being a faithful, covenant-keeping God, said in a parable found in the next chapter, Ezekiel 37, that in the last days He would surely open their graves and resurrect their scattered dry bones, and they would miraculously be revived, and they would live again in their own land and become an exceedingly great army. And this is the reality that we see today. Now this end-time regathering of the Jews was not a reference to the Babylonian captivity, which lasted only 70 years. The Ezekiel prophecies say that the regathering of the people of God will take place at the end of time in the latter days, after the Jews had been scattered into all the nations and then regathered from all nations. So the scenario of the Ezekiel War applies to this generation because it's a fact that Israelis have returned to the land of Israel in the past 100 years from all the nations. What we see in Israel's population today is a melting pot caused by a worldwide regathering of Jews. And secondly, the countries that will invade this regathered Israel and that will be destroyed upon the mountains of Israel are named and presently are in perfect alignment on the world map. Ezekiel chapter 38 and verses 11 and 14 say that the invasion will happen when Israel is a peaceful people 
meaning those who truly desire peace, and when they are dwelling securely in unwalled villages, meaning Israel will have an army and superior weaponry, and a perfect description of modern-day kibbutzim and moshavs are unwalled communities that indeed are not encircled by high stone walls as the ancient cities were walled in the times of biblical Israel. But you say, what about the big, long security wall that Israel has built, in fact, to protect itself from suicide bombers? Some prophecy teachers say a peace pact will happen to remove this wall. However, I think this prophecy about Israel having unwalled villages is already fulfilled even with a present security wall in place. This is because Israel's security wall is a different kind of security barrier that keeps out suicide bombers, but the actual Israeli towns and villages are not walled, just as the prophecy specifies. In fact, Israel's so-called Iron Dome anti-missile air defense system provides an invisible wall, something that naturally the prophet Ezekiel couldn't see in his futuristic vision. Israel dwelling securely could also be a reference to their general quality of life. But let's move on. The Ezekiel War will be unprecedented. This time it will seem impossible for Israel to beat off such overwhelming odds, but the God of Israel, whom the scriptures call a man of war, will enter the scene and prove who God really is. And as a result, all the world will know that the God of Israel is God and that all other pretenders are imposters. What's coming reminds me of a scene in Cecil B. DeMille's epic movie, The Ten Commandments. In that movie, when finally Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, realizes that he's been thoroughly defeated after suffering ten terrible plagues and then the drowning of his entire army at the Red Sea, he finally acknowledges that the God of Moses is God. Well, Ezekiel 38 lists the countries that will invade Israel and consequently will be defeated in a supernatural war. I'm reading excerpts from the text, and it says that God said, Son of man, confront Gog from the country of Magog, head of Meshef and Tubal. Prophesy against him. Say, be warned, Gog, I am against you. I'm going to put hooks in your jaws and drag you off with your whole army. Verse 5 says, Persia, modern-day Iran, and many nations will be with you. The chapter continues, get ready to fight. After a long time, you'll be given your orders. In the distant future, you'll arrive at a country that has recovered from a devastating war. People from many nations will be gathered there on the mountains of Israel, which had been a wasteland for a long time. These people have been brought back from many countries and now live safe and secure. You'll rise like a thunderstorm and roll in like clouds and cover the land. This possibly describes some sort of airborne invasion. At that time, you'll devise an evil plot. You'll say, I'm going to invade a country that's risen from the ashes. These returned exiles and their booming economy centered at the navel of the earth. When the time is ripe, 
God says, I'll unleash you against my land in such a way that the nations will recognize me. And through you, Gog, in full view of the nations, I will put my holiness on display. And when you attack the land of Israel, my raging anger will erupt. And now God begins to list the signs and wonders that are going to happen. He says, there will be an earthquake that rocks the land of Israel and every human being will tremble and shake before me. Mountains will disintegrate, terraces will crumble. I'll decree all out war against you, killing Gog on all the mountains of Israel. I'll strike him with judgment, diseases, massacre, torrential rain and hail, volcanic lava pouring down on you and your mobs of troops and people. I'll show you how great I am, how holy I am. I'll make myself known all over the world. Then you will realize that I am God. Folks, this is God showing up in this world. The reason why this Ezekiel war is not Armageddon is because this chapter, Ezekiel 38, describes a federation of nations that attack Israel. Whereas in the biblical passages concerning Armageddon, all nations come against Israel later on. But who is Gog? Bible scholars say Gog is the leader of Russia. Iran is a player who's listed in Ezekiel 38, along with Libya and Gomer, which is modern day Turkey. Also the phrase, many nations are with them. So that can include the belligerent nations mentioned in Psalm 83, such as the Hagarenes, Egypt, Jordan, Hamas controlled Gaza, because their attitudes are either sullen or hate-filled. And according to Psalm 83, these surrounding nations say, come, let us wipe them out so that the name of Israel will be remembered no longer. And what about the United States, Great Britain and Europe? Well, according to Ezekiel 38, these nations will not defend Israel, but will only respond with rhetoric and diplomacy. Verse 13 of that chapter declares Sheba and Dedan, and scholars say that territory now is Saudi Arabia, and the merchants of Tarshish, Tarshish is biblical business language for the territory of modern day Britain. Tarshish with all the young lions thereof, and the young lions is an idiom for Britain's cubs or colonies, Britain, Canada, and so forth. They shall say to you, have you come to take a spoil? Speaking in diplomatic language, isn't it interesting that the Russian bear is on the prowl in the Crimea and elsewhere? Whereas Western leaders are weakened and they aren't really capable of coming to Israel's defense. They're only engaging in rhetoric. They're only heard on the sidelines saying, have you come to take a spoil? So they won't rescue Israel in its hour of need. God will receive all the glory, not America, not any allied troops. And what is the result for Israel? Physically, Israel will spend, it says in the next chapter, 
seven months cleansing the land and seven years clearing the carnage and burning the weapons. But more importantly, Israel will undergo a national revival, returning to her God. If this war happens before the rapture takes place, and I personally believe it will, what will be the result for the church? Well, surely when God shows up and demonstrates who he really is, we'll have a new unprecedented opportunity to reap a great harvest of souls. People will be awakened to the fact all over the world that God is alive and very powerful. The Lord repeatedly says through Ezekiel that the world and Israel will take notice of him when he supernaturally intervenes and give him glory. And what will be the outcome for the religion of the nations who attack? It'll be a great humiliation. And the Bible does teach that pride comes before a fall. The church must prepare now to be ready for this great harvest of souls because by all indications, the Ezekiel War is imminent. Speaking recently at the Herzliya Conference in Israel, the IDF Chief of Staff, Benny Gantz, spoke about security challenges in Israel. He said, in Israel, you can be drinking coffee at 9 in the morning, and by 4 in the afternoon, we can be at war. So the church is going to benefit with a great revival of souls as a result of this war, and Israel will benefit with a mighty deliverance and a national revival. But what's in it for God? First of all, His holy name will be vindicated, He says. And secondly, He will demonstrate His everlasting love for Israel. Bear in mind that Isaiah 54, 17, which is often quoted by Christians as a protection verse, was first given to Israel. It says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn, because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, says the Lord. Meanwhile, how should intercessors be praying? Let's pray for mercy for the enemies of Israel who are planning this devastating attack. Pray that the eyes of their understanding and the eyes of the world would be open to see the hand of God in the state of Israel, that they will repent. And pray that ears will be opened to hear the Lord's words spoken through his evangelists, pleading with the nations to recognize the truth and return to God and be healed. Through the signs and wonders of God's miraculous intervention, his name will be magnified. The state of Israel will be saved from destruction and will experience a national religious revival, returning to the God of Israel. And the nations will recognize that the God of Israel is God. No other God of any other religion. Yes, I personally believe it's going to be the greatest visible demonstration of God's power since the showdowns between Moses and Pharaoh and Elijah and the prophets of Baal. At this time, all of Israel will not yet receive the Messiah as a result of the Ezekiel War, but they will come a big step closer in the process. Many replacement theology Christians think that God is finished with Israel, but that's a big misunderstanding. 
for Christians with a burden to pray for Israel and to defend her biblical right to her homeland, there are several important truths that can be learned about intercession for Israel in the life of Moses. God was ready to destroy the Israelites and to begin again with Moses because they had worshipped the golden calf after their great deliverance from Egyptian bondage. God could have destroyed them at that time and still kept every promise he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by raising up their descendant Moses as new founder of the nation. But in his first line of defense, Moses asked God to consider what the Egyptians would say about him as a faithful, loving God if he destroyed all the Israelites at that time. In his second line of defense, in Exodus 32:14, Moses urged the Lord to remember Abraham and all his covenants to the patriarchs, including to multiply them and to give them the land of Canaan for their descendants. And the second time that Moses interceded for the nation not to be destroyed by God was when the people tragically believed a bad report of 10 spies that they brought against the promised land. Well, God was ready to wipe them out again, but Moses reverted to his first line of defense. He cried, Lord, what will the Egyptians and the Canaanites say about you? Moses also appealed to the long suffering of God and the greatness of his mercy. And God honored the intercession of Moses. This great lesson is repeated here in the Ezekiel War chapters. We see that we learn yet again that God is very concerned about what the nations will say about his everlasting covenant relationship with Israel. In fact, Ezekiel 36 repeatedly states that for the nations to say God is unfaithful to Israel amounts to profaning his name. You see, it pleases God to hear us to affirm in prayer and in our public declarations that God's eternal bond with Israel is real and his love for Israel will stand the test of time and the challenges of enemy nations. The church needs to face it and the world needs to face it that God has an unbreakable eternal love for Israel whom the Bible says he actually married. This deep redemptive love was reflected by Moses and also by the Apostle Paul when they both offered in intercessory prayers to forfeit their own salvation for the salvation of their people. Israel today, like all nations, is still sinful and needs our prayers for God to be merciful and to forgive and to send them the Messiah speedily. There's not a day that goes by that I don't cry to God, let Jesus return to fix this world. But I want you to learn this lesson of the soon coming Ezekiel war, that God's love for Israel is still strong and it's never died. God's emotional bond and covenant with Israel survived the sin of the golden calf. His love survived their rebellion in the wilderness. His love survived their sins that resulted in the Babylonian captivity of the Jews and the destruction of both their temples. God's love for Israel has survived nearly 2,000 years of the diaspora. 
Traditionally, the rabbis hold the view that the second temple was destroyed because of the sin of baseless hatred, which is hatred without a cause. And even the scriptures prophesy concerning Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. They hated me without cause. This was, in fact, baseless hatred. And in John chapter 15, Jesus commented concerning his countrymen. He said, they saw the signs I did, and they hated me anyway, both me and my father. They verified the truth of their own scriptures in the Psalms, where it's written, they hated me with baseless hatred. But it truly surprises many Christians that God's love for Israel has even survived the Jews' rejection of the gospel. Many replacement theology Christians don't realize the gospel truth that just because the Jews rejected Jesus, God has not rejected them. No, he'll never do that. The Lord is a faithful lover. As a matter of fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 is a real clear gospel truth, which states, if we're unfaithful, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And very important, the Apostle Paul pointed out in Romans chapter 11 concerning the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake, but concerning their election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's Romans chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. So when you hear most Bible teachers quoting that verse, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, they often quote it out of context. But just know that Paul was speaking primarily of Israel. Their election and calling can't be revoked. Well, that's all the time that we have in this lesson, but keep your eyes on Israel and keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem and know that a coming revival out of the Ezekiel War will be resurrection life for the church. Meanwhile, we invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online for a free copy of our color magazine, Exploits. We'll be happy to send you a copy or you can receive our electronic edition by email. We also post details about our many strategic prayer conferences in the Bible lands. And so, until next time, earnestly contending for the truth of the faith and reminding you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Blessings and Shalom. What a marvelous gift God has given us through the Internet to share with you all over the world. I hope that you'll take time to visit our website with daily news updates, articles, and insights into the unpredictable world in which we live. And of course, our central focus is the nation of Israel and how God is fulfilling Bible prophecy in these turbulent days. We send out email alerts of all our new videos, and you can also read our Exploits Ministry magazine free online. All you need to do is let us have your email address. Better still, you can contact us by phone in the USA at our toll-free number, 1-888-245-2692. Our number in the UK is 0843-557-4000. 
double seven. And please keep in mind that all this is made possible by viewers like you who will stand with us. You can make a donation by credit or debit card at our website. Thanks for being a part of Exploits Ministry. You're living in the promise of Daniel 11.32. Those who know God will be strong and do exploits.